Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome back, everybody. It's Lucas. I got Chris here. Uriah is our producer, and we got a very special guest today, and I'm going to let Uriah introduce this uh, this gentleman. Uriah, go ahead. Take it away, bud. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen who are listening out there to the Sixer Sense Podcast, we are in for a treat. It is my honor and privilege to introduce our guest this evening. We have the one and only Neil Hartman, who really needs no introduction in terms of what he's done for the city of Philadelphia as a sports uh, caster. But I'll just read his bio real quick uh, for probably all the young kids out there who maybe didn't catch uh, Neil on Comcast Sports that. So Neil was a longtime award-winning sports personality, formerly of Comcast Sports Net Philadelphia. Hartman is now director for the Center for Sports Communication and Social Impact at Rowan University. Hartman is also CEO and executive producer for Tolo Media Group. Hey, Neil. How are you? Thank you for the introduction. Appreciate it. I feel like I'm speaking to a legend right now. Um, Chris and Lucas, I used to grow up watching Neil on TV every night, literally every night, whether it was Sixers, Phillies, Flyers, or Eagles. Neil just always brought the news the way we needed it in Philly. So thanks again, Neil, for being on. You know what, Uriah, uh, it's so true that during that time period, we started Comcast Sports in 1997. Uh, before that, I was at Channel 3 in Philadelphia. But when we started in 1997, uh, you might remember Prism. Oh, yeah. Was mm-hmm. the regional sports network and movie channel here in Philadelphia, started by Ed Snyder, the former owner of the Flyers, uh, who has obviously since passed away. But when we started Comcast Sportsnet, we had, you know, we had total domination we could you know we the local news stations couldn't handle what we were covering because we had all this time to fill and we had a lot of people working on the staff so it was really an enjoyable time and some of the teams weren't doing all that great some years some years <laughs> they were pretty good so um certainly 01 was pretty good i remember that one that was pretty good six year that's for sure 
I'm definitely going to pick your brain as the podcast goes on, go down memory lane for a little bit. But uh, real quick, why don't you tell us, Neil, uh, what are you currently doing uh, at Rowan University? It sounds very intriguing. Yeah. So about five years ago, I left Comcast Sportsnet, which is now NBC Sports Philadelphia. And, and I had to make a decision, like, what am I going to do next in my career? I, I, I really didn't have any interest in doing any more on air. And I do some a little bit here and there, but not much. And, and I wanted to try to find a, a second career. And so I, I kind of dabbled into higher education, started working at Rowan uh, College at Burlington County and st- uh, was asked to teach a class there. And uh, a friend of mine who's uh, pretty influential in the Temple Communication Department, uh, Klein College at Temple, uh, a guy by the name of Paul Gluck, uh, asked me to come over to Temple and, and start teaching there. So I taught there for two years. And then Dr. John Janini, who was the former LaSalle basketball coach, who's now the interim athletic director at Rowan, was the founding director of the Center for Sports Communication and Social Impact at Rowan University in Glassboro. And so John moved from that role to the AD job, and then he recommended me for this position that I'm in currently at Rowan University, and I absolutely love it. I mentor students. I bring guest speakers. I brought Charles Barkley to campus in the fall of 2019. We had 700 students there. It was awesome. Charles was on campus for about seven hours that day. I have a weekly uh, industry networking opportunity for students called uh, Pizza with the Pros. It's every Monday night at six o'clock. We do it now, obviously, virtually, but we do do it in person and bring tons of different guests all the time. You know, Scott Hansen from NFL Network, uh, people from the, the Sixers, Flyers, Phillies, Eagles, uh, NFL, M- Major League Baseball. Uh, I mean, and about half our students are from North Jersey. So there are New York teams as well that I'll bring in. I had someone from the Mets earlier this year, um, but it's just a, a wide range of, of speakers that kind of expose our students to their those professionals' career path. How did they get to where they're at? And uh, so I really enjoy it, and that's uh, kind of my second career right now. But I, in addition, as you pointed out, I'm also involved in sports broadcasting camps. So during the summertime, I, I, I go around the country. I work for the largest sports broadcasting camp company in the, in the, in the nation called Play-by-Play Sports Broadcasting Camps. We have close to 1,000 campers, and we are in 12 cities all over the country, and I run a week camp. Uh, about half the campers are overnight. The others are, are day campers, but we, uh, kids 10 to 18, we, we deal with everything that you need to prepare to be a sportscaster and see if that's something that you enjoy. We have a lot of fun too doing it for kids that age, but that's been really enjoyable. And then I have my company, as you pointed out, your uh, uh, Tallow Media Group, which is named after my daughter, Talia, my son, Owen, and you know, Owen, you've taught uh, my son, Owen. Uh, and that is basically content development, trying to create uh, national sports uh, shows for for premium networks and had some dabble you know some pretty good partners in that in that business but it's hard and I've we've hit some hard times obviously COVID you know took a step back and then I was involved in the college basketball project that the FBI investigation in the NCA uh, uh, college basketball affected that project so we still keep plugging along and trying to get a, a national show out there as well so that in a nutshell is uh, what I'm up to. So you're you're staying busy. You're giving back in the process, and and to step away from sports as a whole would, would just I don't know that would that would be a violation. You are too important to the sports community, and and we're glad to have you. So, are we ready to talk some Sixers, guys? Let's get to it. Let's do it. 
Yeah, let's do it, Neil. Just to echo what Uriah said real quickly, we are really appreciative of you coming on the show. We're we're, we're all big fans. I'm I'm much younger, so I didn't have the privilege of, of listening to you on air, but we're all really appreciative of you coming on. And we're just going to start off with the recent Sixers games. We're going to start on a high note and talk about the win over Dallas. The final score of that game was, of course, 111-97. to That was on the 25th of February. Um, we'll go to you first, Neil. What were some of your big takeaways from that game? I'll just say this, that when I watch the Sixers, if Joel Embiid is playing at the level he's played at for most of the season, and I think he is legitimately an MVP frontrunner at this point just because he's been so dominant. The only problem is they've got to keep him on the floor. What are they, one in five with him not on the floor? I think it's one in five last I checked. Uh, you got to keep him on the floor. So um, I enjoy watching them when he's on the floor. And then when Ben plays at the level Ben can play at, then I'm like, okay, I can see. And I, and I saw my, uh, Charles Barkley happens to be a very good friend. And I saw Charles say the other night, you know, that he, <laughs> he got a little flack for this, but he said they're kind of like Shaq and Kobe, kind of like. And, of course, Shaq's on the same set with him on TNT, and, and Shaq's just kind of drinking his – his uh, his drink there on the set and just kind of you know not really saying anything, allowing Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson to kind of go back at Charles saying, "What are you saying? Are you saying that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are as good as Shaq and Kobe?" And he says, "That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they're like those guys and they have the potential to play up to that level." So, um, not remembering specifically that one game, I can just tell you in general when I watch them play. Uh, those two guys, when they're on, they're going to be a real tough out in the NBA playoffs. So um, I totally agree with you there. That's for sure, Neil. There's no doubt that when both of them are on and they're playing as well as they have been playing this year, that they can be a problem. I wouldn't uh, like them to Shaq and Kobe, though I would have liked them to another great Lakers duo and more like Magic and Kareem especially with Ben and Magic. I mean, obviously the comparison's always going to be there. He's not quite the scorer that Magic was, but at the same time, he's starting to ramp it up. So that's a positive sign. Regarding the Mavericks game, we saw the best defensive performance from the Sixers this year, hands down. And it proves that they can lock down, Ben Simmons can lock down, not lock down, but severely hinder any superstar he wants to. It's not a question of if he can, it's just, a question of when he can, when he will. And it's looking to be more and more often, which makes him a front, the front runner for defensive player of the year with Joel Embiid being a front runner for MVP. It'd be crazy if they both won those awards, which I think is not impossible to happen. But yeah, no, it was the best defensive performance by the Sixers by far. And Dallas, like Seth Curry said, Dallas made a poor business decision trading him because they really do miss him, and Josh Richardson has not been good for them this year. So, guys, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixer Sense Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Check it out. 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. 
So if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package, no pun intended, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. So what are you waiting for, guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now, back to the pod. Well, now that you bring up Doncic and the way Ben played in that game, uh, he has the ability, because of his size mm-hmm. and his speed and his awareness, his court awareness is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, you put all that together, on, most people think of it on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball, uh, he's really special. I mean, if uh, now when you point out some of the, the moments of that game, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I remember when he had a couple of steals – uh, his his denying the ball and just staying in someone's, you know, right in their right in their belly so that they don't have a chance to get off a shot. I mean, again, his size you can't back him down. He's just mm-hmm. he's, he's got that size. So he he when he does that, yeah. I mean, before I was mentioning all his kind of his more his offensive prowess, but uh, and I like your comparison to. Um, Magic and Kareem. I think Charles said Shaq and Kobe because Shaq was on the set. But mm-hmm. you're right. It is more, although obviously Kareem was not the power player, and I guess that's what Charles's point was. Mm-hmm. You know, Joel Embiid is more of the power player that that uh, Shaq was. Magic, yes, very. There are there are some similarities. I mean, Ben's not near as good as Magic. And Magic, you know, one thing about Magic, and one thing I don't think players or people take enough into consideration is the, like the heart and, mm-hmm. and the, the, uh, the way they approach the game day in and day out. And I think that's what magic, uh, what Michael Jordan did really well is, you know, mm-hmm. you talk about their ability. Yeah. They got this great ability, but their, their, their desire to win and the way they would make their teammates play even better when they were on the floor, I, you know, guys like magic and Michael are, are so special at doing that. I'd like to see Ben be like that. You know, I'd like to see Joel be like that. I mean, can they get to that level? I mean, probably not, but but they they certainly have the ability to be among the best of their era, and that mm-hmm. in of itself is pretty 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 impressive. Certainly, and um, I think Doc Rivers having Doc Rivers is going to help them get a lot closer than what they have been in the past, and we've already been seeing that so far. Only time will tell, and I think that. If you're comparing Joel and B between Kareem and Shaq, I think he's a hybrid between the two because there's definitely some finesse to Joel's game that Shaq didn't have, but yet, you know, he's as not, he's as physically imposing as Shaq was during his era. Which I mean, granted, he's not the same build as Shaq, but at the same time, players are a lot less, you know, physical than the, what they were back in the nineties, early two thousands. So uh yeah, I think you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head there for sure. You know, the other thing, uh, when you so I, I just looked up the stats from that Mavs game because I remember there were a bunch of turnovers. So 22 turnovers, seven of those turnovers were by Dantich. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is – that's all Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if you're Doc Rivers, you have to be beaming from that kind of effort because defense is all about effort. Like how much mm-hmm. – how, how hard are you going to work to stop your guy? 
And in the playoffs, guys work hard. Regular season, game against Dallas, February, eh, you know, you might not get that maximum effort. But mm-hmm. he did that night. So let me let me ask you this, and I know this is off topic, but we had this debate last time we had our podcast. If you had to choose between Ben Simmons and Rudy Gobert, who's the defensive player of the year this year? Well, I guess I'm going to sound like a homer if I say Ben. <laughs> okay. I, you can sound like a homer here. It's okay. Here, here I just went off and you know gave you all these reasons why I think he's got. You know, if uh, we all know it, if he had a jump shot, he'd be incredible. And 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 you know, he might get there. I don't know. He might not. I mean, Michael didn't have a great jumper when he came into to the NBA, but it was certainly better than what Ben has. I mean, Ben has literally no jump shot. Although he did make a three the other night, right? So I would say that right now, well, different players too, different players. Mm-hmm. But I, I would go. I, I I love what Ben does. I mean, when he really focuses on his defensive game. And and here's the other. I mean, I'm thinking tons of things are going through my mind as I say this. When the guy concentrates on one aspect of his game, like when he needed to score points, he can score points. When he needed to stop someone, he can stop someone. I mean, that to be able to do that, you have to be a pretty special player. So I would go Ben Simmons over Rudy Gobert. I, I, I'm in the same boat. I think if you're looking for, you know, Rudy Gobert's the best defensive player and the best defensive team, but I think Ben by far is the most versatile defender in the NBA. And I think it's which would you rather have, the best defensive player on the best defensive team, or would you rather have the most versatile defender in the NBA? So for that award, that's where I'm at. But I know there's definitely differing opinions out there for sure. Well, the other thing is I don't watch Utah play all that much. Yeah, same here. That's the other problem. I mean, if I watched them a lot, see, that's that's where it's kind of difficult. Guys on the West Coast, like Damian Lillard. If Damian Lillard was in Chicago, New York, or L.A., I, I mean, the guy is just a, a monster. I mean, he's unbelievable. So, and, and I would say the same about Utah. Now, I, now, Utah, I watched the Sixers when they played out there, and you watch Utah, and, and, and the thing that stood out to me is how balanced they are. Like, they're such a balanced team. They have a lot of depth. I mean, they're just really good. But we don't watch them. Why, why, why often do we watch Utah? Just the same thing. I mean, as good as Portland is, how often do I watch Portland? And so that's a little bit of a problem there when you're not in the East Coast, major city, or in L.A. That's where you kind of fall you know, in the crack, fall, you know, in between the cracks a little bit, and people don't see you as much as you and respect your game as much as they should. Yeah, I think both of you made some great points. And just to tie up the Dallas game, I do think this was somewhat unique in that Embiid didn't have a great game. He scored 23, but it took him 20 shots to get there. It wasn't really a great offensive game from Ben either. This was definitely a game that they won on the defensive end, and they won it pretty soundly. I mean, it was Philly from beginning to end. So I think that was pretty unique and pretty important. And just to move on to the Cleveland game now, obviously that was maybe a bit less entertaining from Philadelphia's perspective. The Cavs won that one in overtime, 112-109. to um, A better Embiid game, 42 points. 13 rebounds, 6 assists. I mean, that's an MVP-level performance. And yet Cleveland, one of the worst defensive teams in the league, a team without Andre Drummond at the moment, a team without Kevin Love, without Larry Nance, still came in and won. Neil, what were some of your takeaways from that game? Well, I just, uh, from what Doc said after the game, 
you never like to say hear a coach talk about like kind of the, the effort and they just kind of like going through the motion. And that's going to happen in, in February. As I said earlier, you're going to have a team when you're not, I mean, look, they, they, they gotta be, they, they can't lose. You can't lose to Cleveland, but it happens in the NBA all the time. And it, that's the challenge. And that's something that why you would respect, you know, the great bulls teams or a great Laker team or, you know, even when the Celtics had their great teams. I mean, like when you look at teams that play really well over the course of the year and they get to, you know, 60 plus wins and they're, you know, it's just really impressive that they can do it game in and game out or San Antonio comes to mind as well. Like how these teams do that, that's really impressive. Now we know Pop, what he does in San Antonio is he gives the guys a rest because he's trying to avoid that as much as possible. But you also have to have some players to be able to do that and have some depth. Point being that I thought Doc said, that you know the guys just they weren't they weren't they weren't in it they just weren't you know weren't in the game and that was evident by just watching them play. So now Joel puts up his numbers. It's kind of weird how Joel's gone hot cold hot cold. You know, and if you can just find him on a stretch where he's he's playing at that high level, and then the other guys pick up you know play at their level, that's when you've got a really dangerous team. Yeah, I think. For Joel, his hot coldness is because of the back tightness that he said started with that Lakers game when he took that nasty fall. But for this game in particular, there's a couple takeaways. One, there's a reason why Andre Drummond's not in the lineup is because Jared Allen's a much better defensive mm-hmm. center. And while, you know, Joel had his way overall, you know, it probably would have been worse if it was Drummond out there because Joel likes to punish Drummond. The other thing is that um, – I was about to say C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. But, well, I mean, it, it call, goes back to it because Colin Sexton and Darius Garland are yeah. looking like they can become the Portland team of the East with the way that those two play together. They're two basically point guards that play next to each other very well. Um, and on top of that, this game proved that we really do need Tobias Harris. It's not just a luxury. It's it's a necessary because the offense needs to come from somewhere else besides Joel and Ben because they played great. But Seth really struggled this game. It was a bad Seth Curry game. I feel like we're getting a little bit more of those frequently than what we did to begin the year. But there was really nobody else that stepped up. And games like this make you think maybe the Sixers do need to make a big trade trade for somebody like Cal Lowry. I don't think Zach Levine will be on the market anymore. Neither Bradley Beal, but Kyle Lowry, maybe maybe Evan Fournier. I've mentioned him in a previous podcast. Somebody that can create his shot on all three levels and be a positive defender, which why well, I like Lowry more than uh, Fournier. But I think they, they needed that perimeter creator. And especially without Tobias, that really showed in this game. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, Tobias is what, about average a little over 20 points a game. Um, mm-hmm you know, out with a knee injury for that one. And so, you, you know, you make a good point that uh, whenever, and, and, you know, look, the Sixers are, they're going to struggle when any of those three players are out between Tobias, Joel, and Ben. And and it's proven that that's, they miss those, one of those players when they're not in there. It, it's a factor, especially if Curry's not going to hit, hit his perimeter shots. Yeah. Again, both, both of you made some really great points. I think this was a bit of, an opposite end of the spectrum thing for Philly where they got offense from their main guys, but the defense just didn't show up in critical moments. 
game did go to overtime, but when your third leading scorer is Shake Milton with 11 points, you only have three double-digit scorers. That's normally just not going to end well. I think they really need more out of this supporting cast. I mean, they frankly have one of the worst benches in the league right now, I think. So I, I do think Maury needs to be open to making some deals at the deadline. I think that's something we've talked about at length on this podcast, but definitely not not a great game. Definitely a bit of a concerning concerning loss. For sure. But let's go ahead and switch gears, and we're going to talk about the second half of the Sixers' schedule here. So for you, Neil, what would be the two games that you have circled on that second half of that calendar, and why would they, these two games stand out more than any of the other games on this uh, on the second half of the schedule? I saw, I saw Danny Green saying, "This is exhausting. This looks exhausting because it's you know it's like almost a game every night, every other night you have a game, um, which that." You know, that concerns me more than individual teams because of exactly what we talked about earlier about Joel Embiid. Because mm-hmm. can he play, you know, every other day at a high level and not have to sit out? Because we already know that when he's not on the floor, trouble. You know, Ben can handle that. But if Ben's not on the floor, trouble. If if Tobias obviously found out against Cleveland, if he's not there, trouble. So I'm concerned more about the fact that they have these games bunched up so much that that is more of a concern. Um, let me, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to you guys if you want to point out a couple of games because I'm going to call up the schedule here and take a look at what that second half looks like. But when I looked at it, I just saw in general how many games they have over such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Just looking at it now, it, it is a lot of games in a very short period of time. It's very dense. We've talked about Embiid being the MVP front runner, but I, I have a gut feeling he's probably going to have more than a few rest days given how tight the schedule is. We, we know how his body works and acts at this point. At some point, that might kind of bite into his MVP candidacy because he's going to miss more games than someone like Jokic, like LeBron, etc. So I do think that's something to keep an eye on. And as far as just two games that stand out to me, I'm I'm somewhat looking forward to the uh, Warriors game on March 23rd. We haven't played them yet. I, I I really like this Golden State team. They're much better than I expected them to be. Curry mm-hmm. is right up front in the MVP race. I put him third on my list yesterday when I wrote the article. I, I'm really looking forward to see Ben probably chasing Steph Curry around the three-point line. I think that would be a really fun challenge for him, and it would be really enjoyable for us to watch. And then... A week later on the 30th, they have Denver. I think just about everyone is looking forward to the Embiid-Jokic duel. Uh, they, they could, they're could they very arguably number one and number two in the MVP race right now. Mm-hmm. Both are putting up insane numbers, playing insanely impressive basketball on both ends of the floor, especially in Embiid's case. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to those two games. So let me jump in here because as I look at that, um, we all know they did not do well in their last West Coast swing. So now when I look at the 23rd against Golden State, the 25th against the Lakers, the 27th against the Clippers, and then Denver, that's going to be a tough stretch just like the last one was to come up with, you know, a couple of wins. Mm-hmm. Again, a bunch of games in a short period of time. I was just looking at it coming out um, in mid-March. So you've got – March 11th, March 12th, March 14th, March 16th, March 17th. Look at those games. Look at the way – forget about who they're playing. 
look at the games the way they're 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 bunched up like that. That mm-hmm. is not good. And you you see the players, and I mentioned Danny Green saying this this you know this is not going to be easy. You know the players are looking at that going, oh boy, this is going to be tough. Now you know they 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 got off to a good start, so fortunately they have a little wiggle room. But there's not a lot of wiggle room because you can lose a lot of games in a hurry, particularly that West Coast swing. And then when the, the frequency of the games being played, you get into a two, three, four game losing streak. Watch it. You can move down from one to three, four, five in the, in the East very quickly. Speaking of wiggle room, the Nets are only a half game behind. Brooklyn looks like pretty clearly the best team in the East right now. We're going to get to home court advantage here in a second. So I don't want to step too hard on that question. Yeah, I'm going to – so, Neil, you still want to – so I have a game and then I have a stretch of games, and you already kind of pointed out that stretch of games from the Knicks on March 21st through the Nuggets on March 30th. That's going to be a killer road trip because the Knicks, they're playing good basketball. Tom Thibodeau is going to make that game very tough because he gets his guys to play hard. The Warriors, like Chris said, Steph Curry, Ben Simmons, that's going to be a workout for Ben, honestly. But you know what? I'll say this. If Ben shuts down or like significantly slows down Curry in that game, I think that would be a, a clincher for him getting MVP because nobody can really slow down Steph. So if Ben can do it even to like him only getting 20 points on like somewhat okay shooting or like poor shooting, Ben gets defensive player of the year. There's no argument about it after that. Lakers are still the Lakers, even if they don't have Anthony Davis, which they may or may not at that point. Clippers are going to be a tough out. And like you guys said already, Jokic versus Embiid is the matchup everybody wants to see. There's that. And so, and then there's the game that I want to really watch is April 14th against the Nets. Cause we would assume that everybody's healthy for the Nets then. And if everybody's healthy for the Sixers, that's an Eastern Conference Finals preview right there, in my opinion. And that would be a very telling game for sure. Yeah, and again, uh, April 14th, right? That's a game at home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, but coming off a four-game road trip. So mm-hmm. how, how tired are they? Are they rejuvenated? I mean, all that comes into play. I mean, time management, you know, managing your players. And this is one thing I do think the Sixers – will do as well as you could possibly do based on the schedule. And that's what Doc Rivers and his experience. He's had to deal with, you know, high-level players before, maybe not someone you have to be as cautious with as you do with Joel Embiid. But I think, you know, that is something that's going to be a factor. How does Doc Rivers manage his players and their time uh, going down the stretch? That's going to be critical as well. But that game on the 14th, you're right, that's a huge game, huge game. I was going to jump in and say that the the Milwaukee Bucks series back to back games against Giannis that could be a preview of Eastern Conference Finals. I'm I'm looking forward to that because you can really they're going to really be able to measure where they stand against. I, I would say probably the second or third best team in the East. I don't know how this is the sixth easiest schedule heading into the second half. There is no way this should be the sixth easiest. Well, I think it comes down to the fact that just about every team is going to have to deal with this density of schedule i mean every team is packed into this tight space so a lot of frankly a lot of injuries a lot of rest games are probably coming up in general in in, Mm -hmm. in philadelphia specifically so i I do think that's going to be a pretty big storyline moving forward so speaking of the six easiest schedule that they're going to play after the all-star break 
uh, Neil, how important is it for them to really maximize that easiest, easy, easier schedule and try to get the top spot in the East? Well, like I said, I mean, I, th- I think they got off to a good start, which is nice, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it, it that can go away in a hurry. And, you know, you mentioned, we've already mentioned Brooklyn and Milwaukee. I mean, those are two teams that could easily be the number one seed in the East. And if you're the number three seed, you know, you could be playing on the road against one of those guys. It, you, you want to be playing at home. I think it's not obviously now with crowds. Who knows what we're going to have crowd-wise? I mean, they're, they're slowly going to open it up, and we'll see if by the time the playoffs come around in, in well, I was going to say April, but now the NBA is now into May, right, with the regular season. So if, if by that point, I would imagine we'd have fans in there. So maybe home court could have a little bit more of an advantage. But what I was going to say about the advantage of playing at home is, is with COVID now, I got to believe it's a real headache on the road. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that has to be a headache for the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so playing at home would be, a, a, that would be the advantage of not having to deal with COVID maybe as much as what you have to do when you go on the road. So that's where I think, you know, you, you need to have home court advantage. I, I think at, at this point that that's, and the Sixers traditionally have always played better at home than they have on a road. I mean, mo- and you can say that about most teams or just about every team that you're going to play better at home. So uh, right now, um, you know, Brooklyn and Milwaukee are going to be real tough to, 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 you know, beat those guys out for the number one seed. But they have they've, – they've taken care of business in the first half to date, and now we'll see how they respond to this uh, enhanced schedule, as I would call it, uh, through the rest of the regular season. I, I do think home court advantage is going to be somewhat important. You mentioned the, the Sixers' tendency to be more successful at home. Um, that that is the case for every team, but I, I think it's like even more so for Philly. They've just been so bad on the road these past couple of seasons. It's been a little bit better this year, but they're still, I believe, eight and nine on the road at this point. That's a losing record. They're playing in a very weak Eastern Conference with only three teams above 500 right now. That, that that's not really an impressive number. So I, I do think home court is going to be pretty big for them. I don't know if I'm confident in them keeping home court. Again, Brooklyn's just a game behind. Brooklyn is, generally speaking, on on a much more of an upward trajectory, I think, right now, especially once KD gets back. That's just such a powerful offensive team. I, I really have my doubts about Philly keeping up if they don't make some moves, but I, I do think home court's going to be pretty important. And I, I do agree that, you know, if, if they want to beat Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee, it's going to be much easier to do that with four out of seven games in the Wells Fargo Center. You know, one thing about uh, Durant, when he does come back, I do think it's going to take a little time for them to, to get in, in, into gear. And they'll they'll have plenty of time to get into gear uh, for the playoffs. But, you know, you're talking about some three high-level players that now have to learn to work together. And it seems like superstars, they generally know how to – they can figure that out pretty quickly. I mean, their, their, their basketball IQ is pretty – pretty incredible, but I still think they might take a slight dip until they take a jump up. That traditionally seems to be the case when you add, you know, new players to the mix and they haven't played a lot together. It takes them a little time to figure it all out. And again, I don't think this is any factor playoff time. They'll be well oiled by that point to go. But I do think, you know, when KD comes back and they're in the flow, with Kyrie and with, with Harden, I think then that you're going to have to see how that all works uh, with all three of them on the floor at the same time. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And the Nets are somewhat interesting because we, we saw when Harden first got there, that was basically when Kyrie took took his sabbatical of sorts and was out for like six games. And then once he got back, once Kyrie got back, then KD started getting hurt. So we've seen a lot of Harden and KD together. We've seen a lot of Harden and Kyrie together, and those have been very successful pairings. But we haven't seen a ton of all three of them at the same time. So I do think that's a good point. I do think there might be a bit of an adjustment period once they're all healthy. I think the Nets can be dangerous, but I think it all depends on who they get in the buyout market. If they can get Andre Drummond to anchor that middle, then yes, this becomes a much more dangerous team. But we'll just have to wait and see. Um, right now, I just kind of I'm I'm waiting to see what happens around and after the deadline with the Nets before I put I, before I put a set on by panic meter with them. I. I, I would disagree with that. I, I, I think they're pretty clearly the favorites right now. I, I mean, the depth is an issue. The defense is definitely an issue. But they've been so good offensively. They they have pretty decent supporting cast even when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. So the defense is a worry. But Philadelphia isn't particularly deep either. <laughs> We've seen what their bench has been doing the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would say I, I'm maybe a bit more panicked than you are right now. Who stops Joel Embiid for the Nets? Nobody. That would be my so you know Joel. If they did play in the playoffs, let's say let's let's say they meet in the finals of the Eastern Conference, um, Joel's going to get his forty points or so. Let's figure somewhere around there. But now it's a question: Can Steph? Can uh, not Steph? Can can uh, Seth Curry make his his jump shots? Can Tobias you know play? At a, at a high level, he's actually played much better, obviously, under Doc Rivers than he did with, you know, Brett Brown. But, you know, everybody else, will they play at that level? Because I do think you have that advantage. And by the way, Ben against Kevin Durant, how will that work out? I would actually put Ben on uh, James Harden because James Harden is the is the engine that makes that ship work. If you can – and we know Ben can slow down James Harden. So if you put Ben on James Harden – that offense, they don't have a – I mean, Kyrie can creep, but he's not going to elevate his teammates. James Harden is that guy. You, sh- you 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 know, slow down James Harden, their role players aren't going to look nearly as good. And then you got Matisse Thibel. You put him on Kyrie. And these this series, you would have to play Thibel a lot more. You sacrifice offensively, but defensively, it would make a difference. We know Kyrie uh, Thibel does good against smaller, you know, point guard-ish type players, even though Kyrie's technically the shooting guard now. The only person that you can't really account for right now is Kevin Durant. But if, you know, and we'll talk about it more later with Kyle Lowry, but, you know, Kyle Lowry could be that third guy. You put Kyle Lowry on Kyrie, you put Matisse on James Harden, then you put Ben on KD. Then you have three guys that are legitimately really good defenders that could do some damage on um on the three stars. I I will say this. I I think that's a the tricky thing about the Nets is like if you take Harden away, the engine's just going to shift over to one of Kyrie or KD. I, I think both of them can certainly elevate teammates. And if not, that's still two of the greatest isolation scorers of this generation who are pretty comfortable just getting wherever they want on the floor and hitting shots, especially in the postseason. We've seen with all three of these players Pretty consistent postseason success. Maybe Harden the least so, but even even his postseason numbers are generally speaking like elite. So 
I, I do think Brooklyn's going to be tough. You mentioned Thibault and maybe sacrificing offensively. I don't know if you can really afford to sacrifice a ton offensively against Brooklyn because the, the Sixers aren't going to shut down that offense. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. I don't think any team really can. So it, it's going to be a tough matchup, but we'll we'll just have to see how it how it plays. Well, out. let me let me ask you this: Do you think Ben Simmons goes off for that series? Because unless they put KD on Ben, which I don't really see KD wanting to guard Ben, Ben's going to have his way with anybody else on that team. Yeah, I mean, I think both Embiid and Ben would have fine series, but if it comes down to Embiid and Ben going off as opposed to KD, Harden, and Kyrie going off, I, I'm going to probably lean towards the former, uh, or the latter, pardon me, uh, winning that battle. Mm-hmm. All right, let's 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 uh, transition, Chris. And we're going to move on now and talk about this year's Sixers team in comparison to last year's Sixers team. The record right now, 22-12, and 12, is not that far off from where we were at this point last season. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to forget with how it ended, but the Sixers got off to a really hot start in 2019-20. A lot of good energy the first couple first month or so of that season. It's kind of a similar vibe now. Uh, maybe less of a chance that it will, will, will go downhill so quickly. But, Neil, what are your thoughts on that? What would you say is a major distinction between this year's Sixers team and the team that we saw last year at this point in the season? I would say one coaching. Uh, I wasn't, it's not like I was a detractor of, of Brett Brown. I thought he did a, a nice job, but I do think Doc Rivers is a, is a step up. So I think coaching's number one. And, and it's not so much the X's and O's, but it's also the player's belief in Doc Rivers. And he seems to have the ability to be able to get the most out of players. And I would uh, cite to- Tobias Harris. You know, we talked about him earlier, 20 points, seven and a half rebounds a game. You know, this is a guy that that had success with Doc in L.A. He's having success again this season, um, much improved from a year ago. So I think he's found a way to get uh, the most out of Tobias. Uh, clearly, uh, we mentioned a lot during this podcast about Joel Embiid and how well he's playing. I think you have to give the coach some credit there. Um, and Ben is playing at a a pretty good level. So all that comes into play for me. It is a better team than a year ago. You said, so the record was the same. They were 22 and 12 last year at that same point. Is that right? It's very close. Very, very close. Like within one or two games. The reason I bring that up is because in my mind, they're much better. But if the record doesn't show, uh, you know, could it be the schedule, the reason why just to me, watching them play, they seem to be a much better team. Not not much better. They're they're a better team than a year ago. If I have to put one thing on it, uh, it's going to have to be Doc Rivers because Doc Rivers affects everything else. He's pulled the best out of – Doc Rivers is known for getting the best out of his players. He made Kendrick Perkins look like an elite defender. No offense to Kendrick, but, I mean, he's good, but he's not that good. Um He's always gotten the best out of his players, and he always has. He always tells the, his players their role. The, the, he he'll call it out in front of the team. He'll tell each player what they're going to do for the team, and that's what happened this year. Joel has been. He's made sure Joel has been the engine of this team. There was there's no back and forth like there was under Brown between Ben and Joel. Joel's the center focal point of this team, no question about that. They have better personnel around them and you got to think Maury for that I mean not better but personnel that fits them the, the scheme that they need to play with Ben and Joel much better and after a rough start 
Ben is starting to look like his old self, even a better version of himself, especially on the defensive end. you got guys like Matisse Thibel and Ben Simmons who are, I mean, Thibel's pushing forward all defensive team, and Ben Simmons looks like defensive player of the year. Doc Rivers is getting the most out of his players, and that's where it all starts. So I, I'm in the same boat as you. I think it's definitely the coach here. So I'll I'll jump in. I, I just looked it up. The Sixers were twenty three and eleven at this point last season, so they're actually um, a game better than they are right now. Um, I, I do. I, I think it's important to note that the Eastern Conference is particularly not great at this point. There are only three teams above five hundred. The Sixers are playing in a very weak conference. That has something to do with the fact that they're in first place. And while I do agree that the coaching is much better, I think the confidence and the level of determination. Is much better. I think Embiid and Harris specifically are really determined to uh, prove that they can carry this team further than they went last season. But like a lot of the problems that last season's team had are still being felt to some degree with this team. While the shooting is is less of an issue in terms of you know floor spacing, but they're they're only I believe 27th in the league in three points made per game. The threes are not falling at a very high volume. I think that's been a real big problem offensively of late. They still don't have a reliable perimeter creator who they can go to late in games. It's it's an elite defensive team. Embiid is playing like an MVP, but a lot of those issues that have plagued this team for a while are still kind of hanging around. So I, I do think there are some warning signs for sure. I would say Seth Curry's got to, you know, pick it up a little bit. You know, that, that was a guy that obviously Doc wanted to have bring his son-in-law here to Philadelphia. But I, I, I'd like to see him you know, like he's had, you know, had COVID, all that. And, you know, it's it's been a little bit of a, a tough stretch. But I, I do see the ability of, of Seth Curry. So I'd like to see him pick it up in the second half of the year. Um, that would be a major, uh, you know, look, you've got to find someone other than Curry that can be a consistent perimeter shooter for you. Um, I mean, Furkan was awesome the other day. Um, but, you know, he doesn't do it on a consistent basis. So to your point with the, you know, the trade deadline, March 25th, you've got, you know, some 25 days to be able to try to find uh, a perimeter shooter that could help this team and preferably not a shooter that's going to really hurt you defensively like J.J. Redick in the playoffs. He hurt him defensively as good as he was offensively. So I mean, that's kind of hard to find those kind of players, but that's what I think their need is. On the same point of JJ, I expect JJ to get bought out, and then we'll sign him that way because I think he would be a good defense, uh, you know, bench player. But yeah, I mean, you need to trade for another guy. Uh, Kyle Lowry's probably on the market. It looks like, according to Wo- Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, now Victor Oladipo appears to be on the market because he just turned down a contract extension with the Rockets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't go for Victor Oladipo. He's struggling a lot from three-point range. He is a two-way guard, but I just, mm, I don't know. I wouldn't give up too much, that's for sure. Um, but let's let's go ahead and transition here. And you are, Neil, you already brought up the Charles Barkley comments about, you know, Joel and Ben being Shaq and Kobe Light. But knowing that Shaq and Kobe won three rings together, how likely do you think this team could become a dynasty like that. It won multiple championships like the early 2000 Lakers. Oh, wow. Multiple championships. I, I just think that's hard to do. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I do think they're, I, I think they'll have a shot at winning one. 
Mm-hmm. Multiple, I think, would be really difficult. I mean, look what they're building in Brooklyn. You know, look what they and they're going to have. They're going to be really tough over the next two, three years, and then who knows what will happen to them. But they'll be tough for the next two, three years. I mean, we already know Milwaukee. You know, has the cornerstone now. They got to build around them, and and you know the West is so dominating. It's so tough. It's going to be hard to win in an NBA final. So, but I think they might. They they they. They have the ability to be able to win at least one championship, but winning a championship is really, really hard to do. That's why what LeBron does and Brady does in football and you know these guys who win multiple championships is just remarkable. So I would say they should win one. I'm not prepared to say they're going to win multiple. Yeah, I agree entirely. I, I, I don't think it's very likely at all that they'll build anything close to what Shaq and Kobe did together. I do think they have a chance. I think this season, especially, the the window is probably more open than it will be next season or, or it was in recent years with how weak the East is, if Brooklyn is still figuring it out. Milwaukee has taken a step back, it seems. Like, there's a real chance that Philly can, can do something this year. But as I've mentioned before, there there are some pretty significant weaknesses with this roster still. And... Like like winning three in a row like the Lakers did is is just super hard to do. You you mentioned it like that that doesn't happen with very many people or or teams. The teams that do do it normally have you know all time greats. So it, it's going to be tough. I think the goal with this era of Philly basketball with Joe and Ben is is to get a championship. But I I would be hesitant to say that they're ever going to win you know two three four five. I I just don't think that's I don't think they're good enough, frankly. I'll say this. If Ben gets a jump shot, which I think we're all kind of pessimistic about that at this point, if he does, that opens the window a lot more, and I think we can all agree on that. But as present, how the duo is currently playing and what their current limitations are, I think one is is probable. Multiple ones seem unlikely unless they can add a third star, but you know, we're talking about the current iteration of the team right now. Well, if that's the case, then I would say uh, current iteration, possible to win one, unlikely mm-hmm. to win multiple. Um, but, you know, Daryl Morey does like to make moves, doesn't he? He so, does. You know, so, it, you know, you're saying current iteration. Uh, I don't I don't see this team, if they, you know, they don't go deep into the playoffs, there'll be changes and it won't involve Ben and Joel. So, you know, what he what he's able to do with the limited resources kind of he has at this point, uh, I'll be fascinated to see what he comes up with. But he, he will make moves. That's his M.O. He's done it everywhere. You know, that's what he does. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good point. And, and to build off that, I mean, what has happened so far is essentially what Daryl Morey promised. He said he was going to come in, be patient, evaluate what the roster already has, see how everything works under Doc before he makes any major transformative moves. Now, the Harden thing might have been an exception because he was James Harden, but he basically Mm -hmm. said he was going to let things play out for a bit before he really dove headfirst into the trade market. The bench is, again, really bad right now, but we we aren't at the trade deadline yet. I expect him to make moves. I expect him to make more moves in the offseason. I I think he's just kind of gotten his feet wet with this team, and, and he's I, I do expect a lot of changes to come um, in, in the next year or so. I, I will say this. I would not be surprised if Danny Green is traded. And the reason is, is because 
he's going to be a free agent this summer. But that doesn't mean $15 million is going to open up in cap space. The Sixers are already over the luxury, I mean, over the tax line. So they're not going to be able to sign a player worth $15 million. They're going to lose that added cap space because of the Horford deal. So they're going to have to, if they want to add a guy that of significant value, they're going to have to flip Green at the deadline. So I, I, it wouldn't be surprising if we saw Green traded. Just if they were going to upgrade this season, otherwise they're not going to be able to add a significant player moving forward, uh, just due to salary cap implications. Yeah, he's a piece that you can definitely, you know, you can you can maneuver. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to do something because you got to free up some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for sure. You're right. Do you want to come in with our question of the week now? Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to it. So this week's question of the week. Really push some buttons out there. There was a frenzy of frenzy of responses on social media. Mm-hmm. And the question of the week was, if it takes trading Tyrese Maxey to get Kyle Lowry, should the Sixers do it? So let's go to Twitter first. And we have a Sixers Sense follower named at uh, Joe Morse 101. He said, big Maxey fan, but clear the window to win is the next two to three years. Unless there is a better option, I would say yes to this. As bright as Maxi's future is, he might not even be in the rotation in the playoffs. So that was Joe Morse on Twitter. Thanks for reaching out. And there were two responses on Facebook, back to back. I'll read both. It's really interesting. One seems like it's a direct retort to the previous guy. So we'll go to the uh, Facebook follower. His name is Maximus Joseph. And he says, yes, Lowry is a proven point guard. And while Maxi has shown promising moments, it seems he does a little too much ball hogging and not enough scoring. I would not trade Matisse, though. You can see his development, and he shows glimpses of being able to shoot. Now, the retort to that, Maurice Watts, he said, all caps, he said, no. And stop offering the Sixers first-round picks and players for these future Ice Cube three-on-three players just, just to get a year out of them. That's not going to work here. I thought that was hilarious. The, the three that, that's that, that's oh. mean because I really like the three, uh, the big three <laughs> league. I really do. Yeah. So, so Neil, um, I know you guys mentioned it earlier, but I don't think we specifically mentioned Tyrese Maxi in this trade. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Sixers should give them give up on Maxi this early for someone like Lowry? Uh, I, I'm reluctant again. And it, it, here we were talking a moment ago about the amount of money that the Sixers, how uh, how inflexible they are because of the the salary cap and where they are with their their roster. And if you're bringing in Kyle Lowry, and again, I, I'm going to go. You know, you, we said earlier twenty million. I'm going to still say it's. Tw- I mean, what is he making? Thirty million now, I think it is right. Mm-hmm. So now, yeah. you know, does he give him a five million dollar discount? And it's now two years, fifty million, and. You bring a player like that in, I, I I don't know if he's at that level still to warrant that kind of money. Maxi is a young player that, you know, we've had young players here before that you're kind of reluctant to give up. Uh, help me out here on the Tobias trade. Who did we give up? Who was the young guy? Landry Shamit. Landry Shamit. Now, is, is he still is he still in? Where is he no, now? He's with the Nets now. He's a he's a bench guy for the Nets. He's yeah, probably. Right. I, I knew he wasn't in LA still. All right, but, yeah. you know, remember how hot everybody was on Landry Shamit? Oh yes. So it, you know, like sometimes we over evaluate. It's the same thing. I know it's a basketball show, but it's the same thing. The Phillies for years have over evaluated their players in the minor league system. 
I would say the same sometimes because you watch a player excel in a game or two here and there. You go, oh, man, imagine this guy did over 82 games. How good he'd be. Having said all that, though, I still do like Maxi. <laughs> I still think he's a nice player. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm again, more reluctant at adding some a player uh, of Lowry that I don't know if you're going to get the maximum value for the amount of money you're going to have to pay. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, Neil. I, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Lowry, and I would be supportive of a deal to get him. Obviously, there's a line you don't want to cross. As you mentioned, he's an expiring contract. He's probably going to still get a decent amount of money in the offseason. He's 34 years old. But at the same time, I'll, I'll quote Daryl Morey's Twitter bio, which I, I did in an article earlier today. It's like, opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. Again, I mentioned earlier, this is Embiid's best season to date. The Sixers championship window might not get much more open than it is right now with how bad the East is again before the Nets really figure it out in jail. Like, this might be the year to do it. So if you can get someone like Lowry for a bunch of salary filler and, and maxi and maybe like one first round pick, I'd be pretty tempted to do that. I, I, I too very much like maxi. I had him graded somewhere around the lottery before the draft. I thought he dropped much further than he should have. But at the same time, he is a, a six foot guard who doesn't shoot terribly well on a team that needs shooters. He hasn't really developed the perimeter aspects of his game yet. He's still a, a weakness defensively. I, I think that 39-point game against Denver earlier in the season maybe uh, led some people to maybe overinflate their mm -hmm. idea of what he is now. It's pretty clear he's like out of the rotation. He's just not good enough now to contribute in the immediate future. So, yeah, I, I would be willing to trade him for Lowry, but it, it would just depend on what the price is overall. I, I, I do think there is a line, obviously, given Lowry's age and contract status that you can't cross. But if, it, if it's maxi salary filler in like one pick, I, I'd be pretty strongly inclined to take that deal because I do think Lowry's a tremendous player still. Well, yeah, well, that's yeah. a big key, though. You said maxi and a pick. Like what kind of pick? Dude, I mean, I would be give up this round. year's first. Yeah. Okay. So first round, it's not going to be all. I mean, it's we you know in the NBA, you know, when you're, you're if you're a playoff contender like the Sixers, well, it won't be that great of a pick. But uh, is that enough to get Kyle Lowry? Yeah, I, I honestly think it is because you look at the other two teams that are looking at them, which are the Heat and the Clippers. They are severely depleted on draft picks, both teams, because of previous trades. And unless the Heat are willing to unload Tyler Hero, which I don't think they are. Yeah. There isn't a better young prospect on either one of those teams that are more that have more upside than Maxi. Well, so, I mean, let, let's say that Miami is willing to offer like Achua and Duncan Robinson. That's probably better than Maxi. Who like, well, would they really give good. up Duncan? I don't know if they would. Yeah, I don't know if they would, but uh, I, I do think Miami has some some other intriguing pieces, and the Clippers. The suck. Clippers are definitely a tough one. I don't know about LA, but. I do think Miami is probably going to be the biggest challenger. I mean, and that's why my hypothetical trade, I did this year's first and then a protected uh, lottery protected 2023 uh, first in the article that I wrote earlier this week, just because I know that that alone would the, the two picks plus Maxi would outbid any, anything that Miami and, uh, and LA would be able to send. It's, and then it's there's an no guarantee he's going to sign here. 
he's from. I mean, you know, he's. he's I a know. Film. I know. I'm just saying. You, but then you got to sign him. I mean, I think there would yeah. be some like you know communication with his agent before the deal went down to make sure that he would be open to resigning. Which, if we go by Keith Pompey's rumors, he would be. So oh, no, he wants to. He would love to play here. I, I'm not doubting that, but but you still got to sign a player, and yeah. you know, so. And I, I think the argument to that would be that Philly again is is really far over the cap. They would have Lowry's bird rights if if they don't trade for someone of that caliber. They aren't going to have the money to sign a player like that. So mm-hmm. the only real way you're going to be able to do that is through the trade market. Yep. And if mm-hmm. Lowry's all you can get, then then you know maybe maybe he's the guy you got to go for. But uh, yeah. I do agree that the contract situation would be a, a bit of a, a worry. I mean, it's an, it's probably going to be an overpay. But like you said, Chris, you have to maximize Embiid's window. And to answer the Twitter question, yes, I would totally do it. I'm the one that I, I mean, I'm the first, I, my article was the one that brought up the idea. I, I would believe, right, Uriah, that inspired this question of the week anyway. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. And. I mean, I'm big Tyrese Maxey guy. You guys heard me say in the past that I think he has all-star potential. I think he still does. I think he's a couple years away from it. I mean, at the same time, you got to maximize Embiid's window now because we know his health history, and it's hard to believe that he would be able to sustain this more than another three to uh, three to five years. You got to go. You got to swing for the fences. And Kyle Lowry is still averaging like seventeen five and six. So he's not a scrub. And he doesn't appear to be on the downward uh, trend either. <laughs> not yet anyway. All right, guys, I think we I think we got everything we needed and we're at the hour mark. So, Chris, take us on now. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. Neil, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk Sixers with us. And... Uh, do you have any places, you know, on social media, elsewhere that that you would want our followers to maybe uh, check you out? Sure. Neil Hartman TV on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, follow me there. And uh, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to talk Sixers. Love the Sixers. So my first job in Philadelphia in 1988 was was covering the 76ers. So I've been around a while, seeing the team go through some good stretches and some Awfully bad stretches, but I think we're in a good one right now, and hopefully they can get the job done the rest of the way. Awesome, and, and again, we're we, we're just honored to interview you, honored to talk Sixers. Mm-hmm. We really do appreciate it, and to all our our listeners out there who who take the time of the week to to listen and to engage with our content, we always really appreciate it. We should have some more exciting topics, some more exciting guests coming up in the very near future, and we will talk to you then. So thanks, everyone. <laughs>